Well, welcome to Renovate Week 2. Uh, last week was an amazing week. My name is Tyler Durham. I'm the Life Stage 2 pastor. And I am really glad that you're here with us tonight. And if you're a guest, um, I'm especially glad that you're here. And I would love to meet you afterwards. So um, we're going to go hang out at the perk. The coffee shop will be open. So would would love to meet you. But uh, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get rolling. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for uh, week two of Renovate. We, we thank you for what this ministry is about. We thank you for the momentum that we already have. And Father, we thank you for your spirit that, that moves and works through our worship and through the preaching of your word. And I just pray that you would bless this time as we hear from you through your word. I pray that you would speak through me. And I pray, Lord, that you would just prepare the hearts of those here tonight to receive your word that they might be renovated, that they might be changed into the image of your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, up here, these are a few pictures of my glory days. Long time ago. It was 2002, and I was playing with the New Jersey Cardinals in A-ball. And uh, the shocking thing about this picture is that I only weigh a few more pounds than I did back then right now. And if you look at me, it has evolved. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I've heard muscle weighs more than fat, and I think that's the case. But baseball has been a huge part of my life, my whole life. Ever since I was a little kid, I dreamed of being a Major League Baseball player. And I was the kid in class when the teacher asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was the kid who said, I want to be a Major League Baseball player. And I had one particularly favorite player in the major leagues and his name was Ken Griffey Jr. Anybody know who Ken Griffey Jr. is? Please raise your hand so I don't date myself. He was one of the greatest players in the history of baseball and I loved Ken Griffey Jr. I had posters up in my room. I had base all of his baseball cards. Um, I watched him on TV. I remember one time we went to a Texas Rangers baseball game and we sat out in center field. Ken Griffey played center field. And I remember just watching every move he made. I watched his mannerisms. I watched the way he threw the ball. I watched when he was hitting, the way he swung the bat. And I tried to emulate everything that King Griffey Jr. did. And so ever since I was a little kid, I had this picture of perfection. I had this hero who was King Griffey Jr. And I tried to make it to that level of play in baseball. Now, the problem was he was 6'3", and he had the genetics of a superhero when it came to baseball, and he had the most beautiful swing in the history of the game of baseball. So I didn't quite make it to his stage, but because I had this image of what I wanted to be, it pushed me forward. It made me better. The things that I picked up from him made me a better baseball player, and there's a lot of similarities in the Christian life with this idea of emulation with this idea of imitation, this perfect image. Last week we talked about, we had that model, and we'll pull it up here on the screen, but it was the perfect house, broken house, renovation, and new house. And we talked about how Adam and Eve were, were made perfect in the image of God. Everything was good. Everything that God created was good. In fact, He said it was very good. And then they sinned. They ate from the tree. And ever since that time, Sin has been in the world, and we've inherited this sin nature. Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Something has gone wrong 
and we need a way out. And so what we need in the Christian life is we need a, a perfect image to replace Adam because Adam failed. And so that perfect image is Jesus Christ. He is our hero in the Christian faith. He is the one that we look at that pushes us forward. He is the new Adam, the Bible says. He is the new man in the new creation that we are following after and we're emulating and we're trying to be like him. But there is a problem. What's that problem? Sin. We, we can't change. We, we see this perfect image that we're supposed to be, that image that was lost back at the beginning, but we can't change. The problem in the Christian life is about change. How do we do it? I know in my life there's a lot of things I need to change in a lot of different areas. And I know in your life there's a lot of things you would like to change too. It could be little things like I need to lose about 10 to 15 pounds or I need to manage my money better. I need to save more money or I need to treat my girlfriend better. Or I need to treat my parents better or, or I, I, I need to grow in my Christian life. My devotional times are inconsistent. I'll do it every couple weeks or my prayer life. I need to improve in my prayer life. We realize that we're not where we need to be and that we need to change. And Jesus is the perfect image. How do we get there? Renovate is all about lifting up Jesus as the, the model house, using the analogy. He's, uh, when, when you see a new development built, they always have that model house at the beginning. Jesus is our model house, but how do we change? Thankfully, we have some answers in the Word of God. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And what I want to show you from this passage, and it will be up on the screen if it's not up already. What I want to show you from this passage is that renovation is the process of becoming like Christ. Renovation is the process of becoming like Christ. And it happens when God opens our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Change happens when God opens our eyes to see the glory of of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to explain that here in a minute. Let's read this verse. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so from this one verse, I want to show you four things that will help us become more Christ-like. And the first thing to become more Christ-like is that we must start some place. There has to be a starting point. And so if you'll look in your Bibles, if you have them out, in verse 16, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then we see in our verse tonight, it says, and we all with unveiled face. And so what in the world is Paul talking about with this veil language and being unveiled or having the veil? What he's doing is he's pointing back to the Old Testament, which the New Testament authors do all the time. They're constantly making their points by pointing back to the Old Testament. And in Exodus 34, Moses goes to Mount Sinai and talks with the Lord. We're not going to turn back there. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. But Moses was the representative of the people of God, the Israelites. And he went up on Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments. But when he went up there, he saw the glory of the Lord. 
He talked to God. He got to know God. And when he came down from the mountain, do you know what happened? His face was glowing with the glory of God. His face was glowing so much that all the people of Israel were scared to death. Aaron, his brother, didn't want to get near him. And so he had to reassure him and say, you know, it's okay. It's just the glory of God. Y'all come in. Let me tell you what God had to say. But here's the interesting thing. After Moses brought him in and told him what God had to say, he put a veil over his face. He put a veil over his face. It wasn't because everybody was afraid and he was trying to block the glory of God. Moses put a veil over his face because it was temporary glory. And he didn't want the people of Israel to see that. And so he would go up to the mountain, talk to God. The glory would would come upon him. And when he came back down, he talked to the people and the glory was shining. And then he put the veil on so they didn't see the glory go away. And then he went back up on the mountain, took the veil off, talked to God as his face was glowing with the glory. He went down and talked to the people and then he put the veil on. The problem was the glory that Moses had was temporary. And Paul knows that and Paul is using that to make his point here. He says, and we all with what? With unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord just like Moses. But here's the difference. Moses was a part of the old covenant. Have you all ever heard of the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant was about the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system. You know, the Israelites had to put uh, sacrifice animals to have forgiveness of sin. And then they had the high priest who would go into the temple. It was this complicated system that God instated so that they could connect with Him until Jesus came. But all along it was temporary. That whole system was not meant to be permanent. That's why we don't have it today. And so the glory that Moses had was a temporary glory. The glory that we have, if we're in Christ, we have forever. It doesn't go away. When we see Jesus, when we give our life to Christ, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, we receive that glory, we commune with God, we talk to God, we see Him in His Word, and we should have a glory that we see in our lives that reflects out of our lives to other people. And they see something different in us. And the great thing, what Paul is saying is, we don't have to put a veil over our face. The second thing he's talking about when he talks about this unveiled face is he's referring to unbelievers who have a veil over their hearts. In verse 14, just a few verses up, he says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, his day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. And then he says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read and a veil lies over their hearts. And so what Paul is saying is, is that there were many people in his day who thought they knew God, but they didn't. Who read the Bible every day, but they weren't seeing Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, some of those people were the most religious people in the cities. The Pharisees, the priests. And Paul was saying their hearts were hardened and the veil was covering their hearts. They couldn't see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I don't know if you knew this, but the whole scriptures point to Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus Christ. But these religious people, they couldn't see Jesus. And Paul was saying the reason you couldn't see Jesus is because there was a veil covering your hearts. Your hearts were hard. And so... The question tonight is, how can we remove the veil from our hearts? 
Because in this, in this room, there's only two different types of people. There are people who've had the veil removed from their hearts, and there's people who still have the veil over their hearts. And, and the funny thing is, a lot of times they don't look much different. Because we can do a lot of outward religious things that make us look religious, but if our heart is hard, and if we don't see the beauty of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, it doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible, it doesn't matter how many Christian friends you hang out with, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus if the veil is still covering your heart. And so there's only two different types of people in this room. And so verse 14, again, and we're going to stay in this chapter, but I might go up a few times here. Verse 14, the last part says, because only through Christ is it taken away. And then verse 16, y'all look at this. But when one turns to the Lord, what happens? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So how do we remove this veil from our hearts? We, we stop seeking satisfaction and joy and peace in the things of this world. And we turn to the Lord and we put our heart's affections on Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the veil is removed. How do we do that? We do that by faith. We believe in what Jesus has done. And some of you in here maybe don't know what Jesus has done. What Jesus did was he came into this sinful, broken world... God in the flesh, and he lived a perfect life. All the Old Testament commandments and all of the, the, the things that we were called to do in the beginning, Jesus did perfectly. So he lived perfectly in our place, and then he died perfectly in our place. And so what Jesus did was he, he allowed himself to be arrested, to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be flogged, and to be put on a bloody cross... So that he could bear the wrath of God for our sin. So he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness if we're believing in Jesus Christ. That's what he did. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I, I could care less what you've done in the past. What I'm saying to you right now is if you turn to the Lord tonight, the veil will be removed. There has to be a starting point if this broken house is to be rebuilt. There has to be a time where you say yes to Jesus and allow Him to come in and start working in your heart and in your emotions and in your, your actions and in your behaviors and in every part of your life. There has to be a time where you say, Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore on my own. I want you to come in and do it for me. There has to be a time. And so my question is, has the veil been removed in your heart? Has the veil been removed in your heart? Do you find joy in spending time with Jesus? Do you find joy in spending time in the Word? Do you find joy thinking about and meditating on the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does what Jesus did on the cross make sense to you? If it doesn't, the veil is still there. But it can change tonight. There's not any kind of 12 steps you have to do. All you have to do is believe. And when you believe in Jesus, what He's done, who He is, God comes in and begins to rebuild your life. And I've seen it all over the place. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in friends' lives. I've seen it in videos and books. 
God is in the change business. God doesn't care about what you've done in the past. He wants to change you right now. He wants to come inside your heart and start to rebuild every room in your life. He wants to bring you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do. And there has to be a starting point. But the second thing is to become more like Christ, you must see the glory of Christ. And this is terminology that that we don't use very often. But look with me at verse 18. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord. What on earth does it mean to behold the glory of the Lord? Beholding simply means to to look at, to gaze upon, to focus on, to set your affections on, to set your your eyes upon the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And for a Christian, we understand just how beautiful Jesus is. And we've seen in our lives when we begin to take our gaze off of Jesus how we begin to take steps back in the Christian life. But when we set our gaze back on Jesus, we begin to become like Jesus. You become what you behold is one way to say it. So we're transformed into the image of the Lord by fixing our attention on His glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that it's seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's in the image of God. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of words right there. Let me say it again. It's seeing the light of the gospel, and I just told you about what the gospel is, of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. When we see Jesus, when our, the veil is removed and we see Jesus for who He is, we begin to change. Just like when I was a little kid, I would, I would focus on uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and think about how he played and his mannerisms and I'd have posters and baseball cards and read articles and, and I would begin, my, my behavior on the baseball field would begin to emulate his behavior. It's the same thing. We become what we behold. So what, what is the result of beholding Christ? It's transformation. And it says here that beholding the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into the same image. It's interesting. It says you're being transformed. And if you um, look at the, the Greek tense of that, it's a present tense. That means it's happening right now, but it's happening to you. It's passive. You are being transformed by someone else. And so as you look to Jesus and the gospel... He comes in and transforms you through His Spirit and makes you into His image. Using the same house analogy, it's the broken house that starts to look like the new house. You tracking with me? It's the broken house that starts to look like the new house. You know, it's funny, the other day, I, um, uh, my wife gave a great gift to me when I was on a mission trip to Belize. I was with some of the, the group here tonight and we went to Belize on a mission trip. And while I was gone, uh, my wife went through the terrible process of moving our youngest daughter, who's 17 months old, Emily, into Rachel's room. And they began to share a room while I was gone. And you probably can't imagine because you don't have kids. But when you have kids, you'll immediately understand that that is complicated. That is not easy. Because if one wakes up, the other one wakes up. If Rachel, my older daughter, starts getting bored and waking up Emily, we, we've got a long night in store. 
And so my wife waited till I was gone for a week, and she did that while I was gone. What an amazing gift. But better yet, she took that room that Emily used to, to sleep in, and she turned it into my own little library. And if you don't know me, I'm obsessed with books. I love books. I've loved books for a long time. And so when I came back, all of my books that had sadly been in storage were moved into this new room. And I got to put them all up on my bookshelves. And it was just amazing for me. Sorry, I'm kind of a nerd. But um, so I, I go into my office and I have a place to, to read my Bible now. It's not just in the living room with chaos going on. And the other night, Rachel, my oldest daughter, came into my office. I was sitting there reading my Bible. And she dragged her little pink fluffy chair and put it next to mine, grabbed her little Jesus storybook Bible, sat down next to me and started reading her Bible. It was upside down. She can't read, but she wanted to act like me. And it, and it was just amazing. I, I didn't tell her to do that. I didn't, you know, I, I, we, we have uh, devotional times at, at dinner, but, but I wouldn't like saying, I want you to do this when I do this. She just she just was looking at me and watching how I acted and wanted to be like me. And so I look up and she's doing what I'm doing. It's the same thing here. How do we change? By looking at Jesus Christ. Where do we find Jesus Christ? In the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you don't know who Jesus Christ is. And you're missing out on all the promises that Jesus has promised us. You're missing out on all of the wonderful truths that the Bible has, and you're missing out on this beautiful picture of the perfect man created in the image of God, Jesus Christ. What greater object to fix our attention on than the King of Kings? And so when we see Christ for who He is and what He's done, we're forever changed. Through seeing the perfect house, the broken house is renovated. So what is the transformation that takes place? How do you know if you're changing and being transformed? There's a lot of different things, but are you loving Christ more? Are you loving His people more? Are you developing the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you growing in these areas? Are you beginning to act the way that Jesus acted when He lived here on earth? Are you following His example? Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you treating people differently? Are you treating your family differently? Your boyfriend or girlfriend differently? Are you displaying this inward joy and peace? Or are you stressed and anxious and don't really know where you are in life and you're just kind of moving along the tides of life and you don't know what you're doing? What where are you right now? This is, this is a time for self-examination. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you growing? Are you changing? It's like in baseball for me, there were a few periods where I'm like, I'm not getting better, I'm getting worse. And that's part of the journey, that's part of the process, which leads to the third point, to become more like Christ, you must remember that it is a process. It is a step-by-step -step process. In verse 18, it says, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's one foot in front of the other moving forward. It's a process. The renovation that takes place from beholding the glory of the Lord in the gospel happens in small steps. It's not an overnight thing. 
And that is a problem for us here in America because we want instant results. We want instant gratification. And so when we give our lives to Christ and we have that great you know, spiritual high and then we, we start to read our Bibles and we're like, hey, why am, I not, why am I not growing faster? Why am I not getting better? Why am I not experiencing what other people are experiencing? And we start you know, freaking out because we're not where we want to be or we're not where somebody else is who's been a Christian for 33 years. We think it's just going to happen like that. But this process of renovation in your life, just like a house, I think we have an image here of a broken down house. Look at that. That's awful. That's a terrible house. It is just in shambles. You think that thing can be fixed overnight? No, that's going to take a long time. Whoever buys that house has got a lot of work to do. They got to go from one room to the next and just slowly begin to rebuild the structure and the rooms and and that is going to take a long time and you would be foolish to buy that house and think that it would change overnight and yet in the Christian life with our sinful nature we think that overnight we're going to just be these super spiritual Christians it's a process just stay the course one foot in front of the next Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, even when you don't feel like it. Spending time around godly people who are further along the race than you are. And just keep moving forward. It's a process. And Paul knows that and he wants to make sure that the Corinthian church and that we understand that as well. He says in chapter 4 verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a process. Um, one of the guys I was talking to about the sermon a couple days ago, he immediately said, I read an article about Kobe Bryant. And when he first came into the NBA, um, he was probably 17, 18 years old, came right out of high school. And he was not good. I mean, I remember... A guy named Eddie Jones started over him. They were in the same position. And I thought Eddie Jones was way better than Kobe Bryant. But Kobe Bryant was obsessed with who, if you're a basketball fan? Michael Jordan. So that was his image. And one foot in front of the other, Kobe Bryant has gotten pretty close to Michael Jordan. And in that article, he said, you know what I did? Every year, I picked one thing to work on. So in the offseason, in the NBA... He didn't try to work on six different things. He would take each offseason and say, I'm going to develop my fadeaway jumper this offseason. And I'm just going to focus on this particular skill. And then the next offseason, I'm going to work on my, my left-handed crossover. I mean, months and months just, just honing in on that one thing. And then as, as you build these offseasons, this player transforms into one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA because he did it one step at a time. And so my question to you guys tonight is, what, what is that one thing that you think the Lord wants you to work on? What, what, I know there's a lot of things we need to work on. There's a lot of things I need to work on. But what's that one thing that you think, man, this is something I've been putting off, but this is that one thing that I need to just plot along and begin to give to the Lord and start working on this thing. And I'm going to get personal right now. It could be, for some of you, struggle with pornography. And you've just kind of given in, you've lost heart, and you've said, I can't beat this. And so you've just kind of given up on it. Well, maybe that's the one thing that you need to focus on and start working on, letting the Lord, as, as you gaze upon Christ, really um, 
detaching yourself from that addiction. Or, or maybe it's, it's boundaries in your relationships. Maybe in your relationship you've overstepped your boundaries. Y'all both, hey, we're only going to go this far and then boom. Two nights later, no, I'm just kidding. A couple months later and you go across that line and you thought, well, we've already done it. You know, we've already opened the door. Who cares? No. Maybe that's the one thing in your relationship that you need to work on right now. So I think what Paul's saying here is this is a long process. This renovation project that God, God is in is a long-term process. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so you need to understand that in the Christian life so you don't get discouraged that you don't look like one of, one of your friends who seems to be further along, but at the same time that you keep working on different areas in your life. And so the fourth thing, how do we become more Christ-like? The fourth thing is it requires spirit-empowered effort. The last part of this verse says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What does he mean, this comes? The, this transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The reason we don't have to put a veil over our face the reason the glory that God has shown to us is permanent is because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. We have the Spirit of God that is working inside of us to motivate us to, to, um, you know, to keep us going towards that picture of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is all about making Jesus Christ look great. And so becoming more like Christ is a work of the Spirit. You can't change by yourself. So I'm just going to say that again. Unless you have the Spirit of God, you cannot have lasting change. You can put a lot of Band-Aids on serious wounds. They're going to kill you. You can put a Band-Aid over that, but it's not going to fix it. And we live in a culture that has all kinds of fix-it things, how-tos and self-helps. And I'm just telling you right now, lasting inward transformation cannot happen apart from the Spirit of God. You can't do this alone. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to change and to develop these habits and to put off old habits. But secondly, this, this is the other side of it, so it's Spirit-empowered effort. So we have the Spirit part, but the effort part is, as the Holy Spirit enables us, we have to make effort in changing. So it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Apart from the Spirit, we can do nothing. But with the Spirit, we can do a lot of things and we have a responsibility to do a lot of things. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, we have to renew our mind. We're, we have control over what we put into our mind and what we don't put into our mind. Paul says in Ephesians 4, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life, and is corrupt and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. So we have to put off the old self and put on the new. It's a responsibility that we have in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then the most famous passage in relation to this is Philippians 2.12 and 13. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
So what God works in us, we work out. But if God doesn't work in us, then we are not going to work out. So it is a spirit-empowered effort. And so um, one, one of my favorite illustrations is a guy named John Ortberg. He's a pastor in Southern California. But he, told, uh, he gave an illustration that really, I thought, shed some light on this. But um, I have no experience sailing or any kind of with boats at all. But he was talking about the process of, of sailing and how you have to have, uh, there's a lot of responsibilities in the boat and there's a lot of things you have to do and you've got to get the sail up and you've got to get in the right way. And I mean, if you've seen, if you're experienced with that, you know, if you've seen movies, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on the boat. But guess what? What if the wind doesn't blow? Are you going anywhere? You can go ahead and nod your head no, unless you really think you're going to go somewhere in a sailboat with no wind. No, you're going nowhere. And so it doesn't matter how hard you work. If, if the wind doesn't come, the boat's not going anywhere. In the Christian life, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If the Holy Spirit is not indwelling you, if He hasn't removed the veil, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're not going to get where you want to be, which is the image of Christ, Christ-likeness. And so to conclude... Renovation happens when you choose to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Over everything else, you choose Christ. And as you behold Him, as you gaze upon Him for who He is and what He's done, you will change, I promise you. Because the Lord promises you. And you will, one step at a time, become more and more like Jesus. And your life will display more and more of Jesus. And it will be a light in a world of darkness. Let's pray. Father God, what a wonderful truth. What an exciting truth to know that we are not stuck where we are. That we can change. And that when we put our gaze upon you and trust in you, you will change us. Even though it takes time. Lord God, I thank you that you've given us your spirit that this glory that we've seen doesn't fade away, but it's forever. And so, Lord God, I pray that this ministry, Renovate, would be all about spreading this good news of Jesus Christ, this good news that our house doesn't have to be in shambles, that God can come in and rebuild it. It doesn't matter how far we are from you, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, you want to come in and begin to rebuild our lives, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.